Hello, I'm Wendy Friesen, and this is Sleep With Me. Today we're going to do something a little bit different. This may or may not be for you, and it may not apply to you. It is about the saddest day of my life. There are a lot of people who are in this group who have had a child who has died. And last Thursday, I woke up at 2 a.m., and I don't normally wake up in the middle of the night, but I couldn't go back to sleep the rest of the night. I just had this feeling that something was wrong, and the reason I couldn't go back to sleep is because there was something that was just so disturbing. I felt it was probably about my son, Sean, who was 34. I never did go back to sleep that night. And a little later that morning, I got an email from someone at my previous address. They said the police came here and left us a note, you need to call the coroner. When I saw that, my heart sunk. He had just gone to Denver to catch a bus up to Montana. And now I'm supposed to call the Denver coroner. And I've always wondered if this ever happened, what it would be like. I'm sure all of you who are parents have dreaded the possibility of this ever being part of your life. And I didn't know how I was going to manage to even make that call because I already knew when it said you have to call the coroner. I don't know how people endure losing a child and all the thoughts that were spinning through my head at that moment were just flooding me with all of the emotions you can imagine, all of the fear and thinking that your life is going to change the minute that phone is answered. And it did. I called, and the man on the phone was very indifferent. He said, yeah, I think I have a case some here. What was that name again? What's your name? Yeah, let me see. Yeah, I'll look it up. I'll see if I can find out what's going on here. It felt like an eternity of listening to him go on and on through shuffling papers, or looking for something on his computer. And he said, yes, your son was found during the night at someone's house, and he overdosed. Many of you who know me and know my story know that my oldest son, Sean, had been a heroin addict off and on. He had been in rehab numerous times, and he had been clean so many times. When he was clean, his life was so happy. And he was so motivated and so incredibly intelligent and creative and loved science and physics. But now, the indifferent man on the other end of the line was just saying, yeah, we have, yeah, we found him. And he's deceased. And it was an overdose. At that moment, I would have expected myself to feel something so incredibly crushing, something that would defeat me to the very core of my soul. My son Riley was with me, sitting right next to me, with the look of horror in his eyes. I started shaking, and I asked the man if I could call him back. And he says, well, wait a minute, not yet. I need your phone number and some information. And I said, no, 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 I'll call you back. Let me call you back. And I hung up the phone. 
The first thing that happened was that I noticed I did not know how to feel. I didn't burst out in tears. I didn't scream. It was just surreal, just as it is right now while I'm telling you about it. My body is starting to vibrate, as it did during that first hour. And my son kept saying to me, I don't know how I'm supposed to feel. What am I supposed to feel? And I said the same thing back to him. What am I supposed to feel? How is this supposed to feel? I don't know what I'm supposed to think. And instead of tears bursting out, I felt like I was hardened and cold and trembling, but yet emotionless. It was so surreal. It still is. I said, no, 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 no. I just walked around saying, no, no, no. And my son Riley continued to say, no, no, no. This can't be, this can't be. There was no question that it had happened. But it couldn't be. It's not possible that it could be real. I called the coroner back after about an hour. And he transferred me to another person. And this other person said, I am very, very sorry for your loss. And he was very kind. And he helped me to tell me what had happened. Sean didn't make it onto the bus to go to Montana. He went downtown in Denver and went to sleep at some guy's house. And I think he died at 2 a.m. when I was shaken awake and could never go to sleep the rest of that night. They don't know what time he overdosed. After I was done with that next phone call, the tears came flooding in. And even if you wonder how it would feel to find out that your child has died, it's somewhat different than you would expect to have this feeling that it just could not be real that just keeps staying with you every minute of every day. That was a very, very difficult day and a very difficult evening. I know I slept that night and I slept the entire night. Maybe it was because I hadn't slept the night before or the stress of what was happening in me and the stress of all the trauma just depleted me so I slept really well. On day two, when I woke up, I had to figure out what day it was, and my first thought when I woke up was, it's Friday, and Sean's alive. I didn't even think about whether he was alive or dead, or anything about what had happened the day before. It's just the first phrase that came into my mind, Sean's alive. And then I realized, no, he's not. He died yesterday. On that first day, as my son and I were walking around the house, just pacing like crazy, not knowing what to do or where to go, dreading having to tell anyone about this, we went for a walk outside. We just wandered aimlessly wherever our feet would take us, continuing to say this isn't possible, it's not possible. We went and sat on a bench in a playground, 
And there were several mothers that walked up that all had young boys, and all those boys were playing the playground. And all those mothers, who were as happy as I was when my boys were little, were chatting with each other, having fun, the kids were squealing and playing. It struck me, all these boys, what happens when one of them is 34 and went astray? Got into heroin, not meaning to destroy his life, but having to experience the power of the pull that heroin has on your life. I've heard it said that doing heroin the first time is the best day of your life and the worst day of your life. It feels so good. And the worst day is because you're going to want to do it again and again and again. The mothers and their boys left, and another one came by with a young boy. She was a grandma to this little two-year-old boy. I had not told anyone about what happened yet. I just didn't have the nerve. So, oddly, something just took a hold of me, and I got up and walked over to that woman who was pushing her grandson on the swing, and I said to her, My son died today. He died this morning of a heroin overdose. And the look on her face was obviously one of shock. And she said, I'm so sorry. And she held me and gave me a hug. And I told her, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to do that to you. I just had to tell someone. I haven't told anyone, and I don't know how to do that. I've never had this happen before. And I I apologized to her profusely. But it was the strangest, overwhelming feeling that I knew that I needed to tell someone, someone who wasn't attached to the situation and wasn't attached to my son and didn't know who I was and would never know who I was when I walked away. We walked for another hour before we went back home. And now I'm with my only son. I still have two sons. But my only son who is now with me it was time to make some phone calls to tell people. My family and friends know of Sean's history, how he can be the most engaging, beautiful, bright, imaginative, creative man, so helpful, willing to help anybody. He loves kids, and he loves teaching people how to do things. And my son, who is a heroin addict, who will steal anything or do anything if he needs to get a fix, who is the most insincere, aggravating person when he's in a cycle of doing drugs. Those of you parents who are parents of addicts, you know how hard it can be. You see the good in your son or daughter. You know that when they're doing drugs or stealing or they're so frustrated when they're manipulating everything around them to make it work out so that they can get their drugs, that that's not who they are. And you get mad at them and you call them names. You say, you're an asshole. Why do you want to be so hateful? Why are you so angry? My son has been in jail many times. When you're living a drug life, 
There are a lot of opportunities to go to jail for stealing because you need the money to buy the drugs. When he was in jail, he was so beautiful, sweet, kind. As a result of being clean and sober, and the true Sean would shine through. He'd write me letters from jail, written with a pencil and printed pages and pages and pages. And in those letters, he was so accountable. He was apologetic for all the trouble he'd caused. He was setting goals and telling me in the letters what he wants to do with his life, what he's excited about, what he loves. And when he would get out of jail, it's just the happiest day of my life that no parent should ever have to experience. Sometimes he would travel because he was a free spirit. He wanted to go where he wanted to go. He was charming. People loved him. People trusted him. And he would find women who would fall in love with him head over heels. And after he was done traveling or something happened that a relationship broke up, he would always come home to the loving arms of his mother. His brother was very excited to have him back. They were such a great team together. And I was just over the moon with happiness to have my son back every time. He'd be back for a week or two or a month. This time he had come back, and he was here for two weeks, and he wanted to head back to Montana to a rehab center that he had been in to get some more emotional help and help himself grow and just be really safe and clean and sober. It was his priority, and I felt his commitment so strongly. Day two was tears flowing on and off. It's a strange feeling. You have a couple hours where everything seems so normal that you almost feel guilty. I felt maybe I'm just heartless because I'm not feeling anything. I stopped crying for two hours, and I'm not feeling anything. And then something hits you. It just comes out of nowhere, as many of you know. And then this flood of emotion is there, and it's like it washes it all away, and you feel neutral for a while. Day two, still very surreal. When I woke up on day three, there was an overwhelming feeling of acceptance. From the second I woke up, I felt acceptance about what had happened. There really was no reason for me to feel this acceptance. I had not tried to process something or release anything I feel it's kind of important to just let yourself feel what you're going to feel and move through all the different phases of losing someone you love. The sense of peace on day three was overwhelming. And again, I thought something must be wrong with me because I'm feeling so peaceful today. And and I went through the day feeling just normal. Not happy, not sad, just normal. And I thought, this can't be right. I'm not allowed to feel normal. Not after losing my son. 
still feeling that it couldn't be real. This is not real. It is not real. This did not happen. No, 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 no. But then when I'd stopped that voice, there was acceptance. And it was so peaceful. The entire day for day three, with my words sneaking into my head, saying, no, 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 this didn't happen. And then I would stop. And there was acceptance. I don't know what caused that feeling. It could have been that all the love from all the people who were sending me love and prayers and healing and asking if they can do Reiki to help me, maybe all of that did have some effect and it gave me that feeling of acceptance. On day three, I had to figure out what to do. I don't know what to do. I've never had someone that I love, my child, leave. And he's in Denver in the morgue. And I don't know what I'm supposed to do. So I looked up cremation. And that is something that no parent should ever have to do. And I found a place where you can donate a body so that surgeons can practice and the universities can help them get better at their skills as they're learning. I felt it was a good contribution for him to be giving something to others. And then that made me wrestle with all the images of what that is like and how that works and how they do that. It did go very smoothly and the donation of people that go to pick up the body, they let me know every step of the way what was happening and they were very loving and kind and they knew just what to do and what to say to help me feel loved. The woman came here to my house and brought flowers. A friend of mine, Richard Rumble, put me on a meal train. <laughs> I didn't know this existed, but for people who are going through a really tough loss, sometimes it's hard just to figure out how to eat food. And you don't want to go to the store. And then in the middle of the store, lose your, your shit <laughs> and fall apart. So on the meal train, people were signing up to have meals delivered to my house every evening for my son and I, and that was just miraculous. It was so beautiful, and it felt like so much love coming from so many people. And it has made just an enormous difference, not just in feeling so loved and taken care of from afar, but, but just knowing that people are willing to be with you in that way. Today is Thursday, and it's been one week since this happened. I didn't feel like things were getting better until yesterday. It felt like the periods of time that I didn't think about it were a little bit longer. They were very, very short, but they were a little longer than the previous days. And then there would just be a rush of emotion that was not devastating. It was just that emotion. 
and then having to call the detective to find out where I pick up his things because he had a couple backpacks and, and I have to go and get those. And then talking about the death certificate, talking to the other detective who's on the case. Why is it a case? It's not a case. My son overdosed. He said, we have to do an investigation. And what are they going to investigate? He died of an overdose. Is there something else there? Is there something that happened that I don't know about? Is there something else that doesn't add up? That doesn't make sense? The people who were in that house that he was in? Who supplied him with the drugs? Does it matter? Did he do it on purpose? Was it an accident? Does it matter? In some ways, and this might sound strange, I felt fortunate that there was no horrific crime, there was no murder, there wasn't a horrendous car accident where he was mangled or in pain. I don't want anyone's child to die ever. But then again, it does happen, and it happened to me, and at least it happened in a way that wasn't some horrific, painful, horrible tragedy. It is a tragedy, but I'm sure you know what I'm trying to say. Nobody beat him up. Nobody hurt him. He made a choice to do heroin. And as most of you know, if you have any connection to this heroin addiction and the opiate problem we have, the heroin addicts are dying so fast. It is accelerating every day. The fentanyl from China is being put in the heroin, and nobody really knows what the dose is, so it kills you. The very nice detective that I talked to, he, it was his day off, and he talked to me for half an hour on this day. And he was just, you could tell he was just in pain. He says, I'm seeing this accelerate so fast. These young people are dying from heroin at a greater and greater rate every day says here in Denver, it's really bad. We're not as bad as the East Coast, but it's really bad here, and it is getting worse. And I just felt his heart was so into what he was doing, but feeling helpless to do anything to stop it. I don't know what you do. I do know that now, though, every day since last Thursday, there have been thousands of parents who've gotten a phone call or a knock at the door by the police, or an email to call the coroner's office, whose lives are changed forever, completely and totally turned upside down. And, and every day from today onward, thousands and thousands of people every day are going to be told this, and they're going to lose a child. One of the things that is that I am very grateful for is that I chose to specialize in drug and alcohol addiction work with my hypnotherapy to help people who are addicts. The reason that I started doing that was because my son was in rehab five times. 
when I first got him to go to rehab, <laughs> that was about 12 or 13 years ago, I was so excited because he wanted to go to rehab. And I thought, this is it. This is going to fix him. This is going to make it all work. It's going to be all better. And my son's going to come out of there in a month being a new man, free from drugs. I knew that this was going to work. So I paid the rehab a lot of money. I think the first one was $30,000. And I put him on a plane to go to Orange County. I bought a ticket for myself, even though I didn't use it, so that I could go all the way to the gate of the plane to make sure he went in. And then there was someone who would be meeting him in Orange County to take him to the rehab. Well, the first time, you know, it was very nice afterwards for a little while. He ended up getting back into drugs after just a few months. So it was time to go back to rehab again. It had probably been about now seven or eight months, and he decided he wanted to get clean more than anything. And he said, Mom, 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 please help, please help me. I just want to get off this, and I want to quit. I've got to do something that works. So he went to the second rehab. And this one, the same as the first one, they fed him really cheap, crappy, processed foods. Everyone stood around and smoked cigarettes. They had a ping-pong table, so they got to play ping-pong. And they would have a group meeting once a day to talk about their drugs or alcohol, their sadness or their fears or their anger. In the morning, they drove them to an AA meeting. And in the evening, they drove them to an AA meeting. For $35,000, they fed them crappy food and drove them to AA meetings. When I went to one of the meetings that was at the rehab, they had an expert who came there that goes around to rehabs and is paid to be a speaker for AA. And I sat down in that meeting in the back row. The speaker gets up. He's an authority. He knows what he's talking about. And he says to all these people who are in there voluntarily wanting to be clean and sober and healthy and confident about their decisions, he tells them, well, I've been sober for 20 years now, and I got to tell you that even after 20 years, every day I'm still trying to just make it till midnight. He says, yeah, I white knuckle it most days, but I've stayed sober 20 years. When I heard that, my heart just sank. That's not the expectation that you want some expert to tell your children or your father or your mother or your brothers or your sisters. You want someone to give them the confidence and the strength and the commitment and the belief about who they are, who they're becoming, what their potential is. Five rehabs later, I learned a lot on behalf of Sean and I learned what does not work. And I created my own program for addiction based on the principles that I knew about the brain and the neuroplasticity and the expectation and the subconscious mind. And because of Sean, I have helped so many people all over the world get off drugs and alcohol. And now I know the next question in your mind is, well, what about your son? Why didn't it work on him? You would need to have known my son. <laughs> He's a very independent person with a very strong will. He is very confident that he knows more than most people. 
And he does. He has an incredibly high IQ. He is really smart. The reason I talk about him in the present tense is because he is still here. He does still exist. Sean has not gone away. His body died. But Sean's still here. So Sean helped me by going through this process in his life to do something that would have such a profound effect on the brain of an addict and on their mind and their heart and their soul and take them through all this. And because of Sean, I believe that I have saved a lot of lives, saved a lot of families. I know firsthand from all the people that tell me what's changed in their life, who have kept in touch for years and some even two decades. So I am very grateful that his legacy for me is that he led me on a path of showing me what it's like. I want to continue telling you what has been happening and what it's like from someone's perspective who has no idea what to expect. Since this happened, obviously, I have had a lot of messages, phone calls, emails, amazing support on Facebook, giving me the most love and compassion and everything I could possibly want, and I am really grateful for that. I've also had a lot of messages from other parents who have lost children to addiction, and in other ways, and it's a club I didn't ever want to be part of. I knew that for sure. Did not want to join this club. These parents have um, a broken heart even years later after their child is gone, and they feel this emptiness. They say it gets better, it gets easier, but it never goes away. And I wonder if there's a way to help put it in a different place in your mind and your heart where, you know, when I've done work with clients, if they are struggling with a loved one who's passed away, we create such a special, beautiful, loving space where we hold all the memories and the thoughts and all the experiences. So they're all mm, figuratively in one place. Maybe they live inside of you in this ball of light or they're in this sacred room that I help someone create that has all the memories. And in that sacred room, you can go back there anytime and visit with your loved one and all of the things that made their life special. And then you can leave that room and live your life. And it gives you the ability to do both things, stay connected and stay in that place that is so tender and so raw, but you need it so bad. Don't think that you have to get over it, but rather allow your mind to have a way to hold it and keep it, keep the memories alive and keep all the love and the tenderness and even the crushing grief alive in a place where you can revisit it and then you can be away from it when it's okay to be away from it. Maybe you stay away from that sacred room that you create 
for longer periods of time every day. I don't know because this is a first time for me. But I do know that when I've worked with clients on this, that's been one thing that's been extremely helpful for them. If you are a parent who's lost a child, I would love to hear from you, and I want to know what worked for you. What gave you some peace? How long did it take? Are you still crushed every day? How did you get yourself to feel normal again and to go through your life with a smile and have some fun? I want to share this information with others as well because, as I said before, the reality is that there are thousands of parents every day just in this country. I don't know how many in the world, but thousands that are going to get that knock on the door, that phone call, or that email that I got. So how do we move past this and still honor it? What is it that you discovered that helped you the most? And I'm asking because I want you to help me. And I want you to help every other parent who is so scared, who feels that reality of their child being right next to them in the kitchen making breakfast. But he's not there. Every parent who has to go through all those clothes and all those belongings and decide what to do with them. Every parent who just wants to have a base level of happiness. I talked to a high school friend just a couple days ago on the phone and she said it's been five months since her Son died, and she is crushed every day. She is extremely sad and cries every day. And after five months, it hasn't gotten better. And I've asked her, like, does each day have just a little more happiness or a little more joy? And she said, no, every day I just can't get over this. For some people, that might be their reality, but maybe there's something that you have experienced or that you know from someone else that is in this situation that has helped and made a difference. So for now, that's what I would like to open up is a discussion about what works and what helps, what worked for you, and to let other people know what they can do if they're, you know, maybe they're on day one and they're going for a walk and they're walking up to a random stranger because they can't tell anybody else yet. And they need to find something that is going to make a difference. They need to find some hope, and they need to know that things are going to change, and that there is a way that they can get their happiness and their joy back. So today, after seven days, it's better. It's better every day. It's not different. The amount of pain in my heart and my soul is not different yet. It just is there for less amount of time. And then there are times where if you keep yourself really busy or you do something that is really like overwhelming, you don't feel it and it's gone for a while. So I went to a concert last night to see Jimmy Buffett, who I've been wanting to see for a long time. And the experience just fills up 
everything around you so you have time where you don't feel the sadness and you don't think about that and there's no memories being triggered when you're doing that. What kind of things did you do that were so helpful? Does it help to go to support groups? Do support groups make you sadder or make you feel like you're taking on all the emotion of all the other people? Or do they make a difference for you because it gives you certain strategies? Is it going to church or your faith in God? What is it that works? I will be back and I will continue to tell you what my experiences are. If this is not for you, yeah, you don't need to listen then. (laughs) If it is for you and you connect with my experience, I'm very grateful to have you here. Every day will get better. I know that. And I will find the way to create the most loving memory I can of my son and continue to give his life so much purpose so that I can continue to save a lot of lives, save a lot of families, and create happy, joyful souls. My love and gratitude for all of you who have reached out, who have been so kind and so generous. Thank you, thank you. (sighs) Okay, I'm going to go, and I will talk to you very soon.